We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lords by donating to the Future Full of Hope capital campaign at lordsdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Good morning, uh, and thank you again, Father Brian, for inviting me to talk about our two seminaries and to share my journey on becoming a priest. Um, it is a joy to be at Our Lady of Lords, um, not just to serve you guys in my apostolic assignment this year, but also to be here today and to pray with you all. Um, and as Father said, my name is John Stapleton, and I'm a seminarian at St. John Vianney. And I'm in my second year of theological studies, which is my fifth year in seminary. And God willing, I'll be ordained a priest for this diocese um, in about two and a half years, counting. So please pray for me. Um, so as seminarians, we get asked the questions, what made you want to become a priest? Or have you always wanted to be a priest? Well, to tell you the story, um, I first received my initial call and invitation to discern the priesthood when I was in college uh, at Colorado State University. Um, but during that time period, um, you know, I, it was a powerful experience, but um, I needed a little bit more maturing and seasoning, so I didn't enter into the seminary right away um, at CSU. So I graduated college in 2010, um, and then I started working in the hotel industry as a general manager for the country and suites in Greeley, Colorado. And I was there for about three and a half years working. But during that time period, uh, God really used that time to form me humanly and to bring me along, as well as with volunteering at my home parish in Loveland and uh, working with the youth group. Um, I received a lot of special graces from the Lord um, to really reconsider um, the invitation to discern the priesthood. Um, and this is because during my time at work, I just wasn't feeling satisfied, and I just felt like um, I wasn't living to what God was calling me to do. So in 2014, I applied for seminary and ended up entering the seminary um, in the fall of that year. So thank you for your past donations to the annual seminary appeal and having making it possible for my brother seminaries and I to continue our formation and education at St. John Vianney. We have prepared a short video that highlights our formation process and gives you a glimpse of the life of the seminary and how your gift helps forming men for the priesthood. Hey everyone, welcome to the seminary. Oh wow, you guys got inside quick. Let's get started. What does it take to go through the seminary you ask? Allow me to fill you in. Here at St. John Vianney and Redemptorist Mater Seminaries, we require seven to 10 years of formation in order to become a priest. That's like being a doctor for your soul. In my lifetime, it's estimated that I'll celebrate between 15 and 20,000 masses, celebrate 3,000 baptisms, preside over 500 weddings, and hear 50,000 confessions. Nice work, Father. There is a reason I am sharing all of this with you. And it's not just to impress my mom. She's already pretty proud of me. I'm telling you this because we want to invite you into our lives and share with you the four deep dimensions of our formation here in the seminary and how you can help. Intellectual formation is crucial, not just so we can be learned and effective, it also allows us to take on the mind of Christ to see the world and the human heart how he sees it. Shh. 
Pastoral formation is where we learn to put into practice all the training we receive here at the seminaries, from applying theology to everyday life to learning how to give a good homily. This is where the rubber meets the road so that we can serve you. Human formation smooths out the rough edges of our humanity. That way we can live freely and love fully. We grow in this in so many ways, such as chess, check, checkmate, chores, and soccer. Lastly, and so importantly, is our spiritual formation. That brings us to the heart of the Father as his sons. We encounter him in our Liturgy of the Hours, daily Mass, and daily adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. Growth in these four dimensions of formation is the preparation needed to form the character of a man called to be a priest. Without your help, it is impossible to receive this formation. Your charitable donations cover the cost of educating our seminarians. Thank you all for your gift. Because of your investment, life in the seminary continues to be so rich, building up every seminarian. Thanks so much for stopping by. Don't forget to fill out an envelope at the end of your pew and support the seminarian's appeal with your financial gift today. See you next time. Thank you again for your time, and please consider supporting the seminaries of the Archdiocese and the future of your church um, by donating to the appeal. And in, on the chairs, there are envelopes for the Seminary Catholic Appeal. And to donate today, all you need to do is just flip it on the back and then um, just fill out how much you would like your gift to be and sign your name and your information. And then there will be a second collection after Holy Communion today. Um, and just place it in that second collection, and we'll be able to get it. And if you're feeling like um, you can't donate today or you want to wait, um, you can donate online at sjvrm.org, and you make a contribution that way. On behalf of the entire seminary community, I want to thank you for your support. Please be assured of my prayers for you, and I'll be in the back of the church after Mass to meet you um, and answer any questions you may have. And thank you very much, and God bless. Thanks, John. <clears throat> just, uh, and I just want to encourage you to, to be generous with that. That's, this is one of the ones that I give to you every single year because our seminary matters. Uh, a couple points on that. I know a lot of people are thinking right now, Father Brian, what about this crisis of abuse in the church? I don't know that I should be giving to our seminaries. <clears throat> Do your homework. I think in Denver, there's obviously a lot we have to do in the church in general. But most of the abuse, if you, look, if you do your homework, most of it, the peak was, of it was in 1971. The church is not perfect. We have to work to make the church never, ever have a case of abuse, ever, especially priestly abuse. But we've made tremendous strides. And I will tell you that our sem no place is perfect but our seminary in Denver is arguably the best seminary in the country. Uh, it's an amazing place, and, and the guys there get a tremendous education, and we're ordaining very good, solid men from there. 
and it's something that deserves our support. So I encourage you to give to that. Um, and that's that. I don't know how many of you know about Instapots or Instant Pots. Um, I just got one, and it's going to change my life. <laughs> that's the hope. And so they're advertised as like something you can make food really quickly and really healthy. And I expect after about a week, I'll be as ripped as Deacon Daryl. And if you don't know Deacon Daryl, he was an army ranger, so I have high expectations. So I, I got that, and I'm really excited. And, you know, Father Mike's in the house now. Father Mike doesn't like to cook as much as I do. I thought maybe I can kind of gently encourage him, et cetera, et cetera. So I brought this Instant Pot home. I was really excited, and I got out the kind of, you know, owner's manual. And it uh, turns out it's a lot more complex than you kind of think it is. And every page in this kind of owner's manual, there are these, like, bright red warnings because it's a pressure cooker. And it's basically, to sum it up, it's like, if you do this wrong, Denver will no longer exist. <laughs> and it's a little intimidating. I'm like, I don't know if I'm, like, qualified to be an Instant Pot chef yet. And I felt that way. And it made me think today, here's, I have a very basic message for you today. Very basic, but it's something at the very heart of our faith. And it's something that I think is going to just encourage you to do something you already know, but that means everything. I think, and, and let me, before we get to the main point, let me read you one scripture verse. And you're going to think this has nothing to do with anything. And hopefully I can convince you that it ties together. So Exodus chapter 39, your favorite chapter in mine, is about priest's vestments. Instant pot and priest's vestments are basically this. No, just kidding. So here's, here's what Moses says in Exodus 39. God's commanding him, and he says, On the skirts of the robe, they made pomegranates. They are to make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet stuff, and fine twined linen. They also made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates on the skirts of the robe round about between the pomegranates. A bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate round about the skirts of the robe for ministering as the Lord had commanded Moses. If you put a pomegranate in your Instant Pot, no, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever eaten a pomegranate, but it's kind of weird. If you study the Old Testament, pomegranates are an important symbol in Judaism. And I never knew why for years and years until I really started studying this. But if, if you've ever eaten a pomegranate, you cut it open, and it's filled with tons of seeds. Does anybody know how many seeds or in a pomegranate? How many? A thousand. Good guess, but no. Totally wrong. <laughs> Love encouraging children. One more guess. How many? 300. We're kind of in between the two. So the, <clears throat> good guess though. So the, the number of seeds in a pomegranate, and someone after the last mass told me he actually had a friend who was in grad school and did a scientific study on this. And he said that, like, you know, it's not every single time, but that basically this is right. There's 613 seeds inside a pomegranate. I know what you're thinking. 
where on earth is this going? The Old Testament, and this is why it's a symbol in Judaism and why it's important. In the Old Testament, there are 613 laws of God. And so the pomegranate becomes a symbol of God's law. And a priest has embroidered pomegranates on his vestments because it shows us that if you want to worship God, it's not just doing things in liturgy. If you go to the temple and you offer sacrifice, but you don't obey God, you don't really worship Him. Isn't that beautiful? People in our culture, here's what I want to drive at today, brothers and sisters. 613 commandments is a lot. And our culture thinks that about our faith, right? People think Catholicism is an instant pot. It's like, oh my gosh, how can you be a Christian? There's a thousand rules. And you Catholics, you've got a million rules. And I just don't know if I can do that. And so today in Mark chapter 12, the scribe approaches Jesus and he says, what's the most important? Here's the thing. You've heard the scripture reading. You know where I'm going to go with this. You know what God wants from you. But you need to be reminded of this just like I do. Right? And Jesus says the first commandment, and he quotes our first reading, the Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word, which means hear, listen, pay attention. Deuteronomy 6.4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. I love that, right? The commandments, we always think that the commandments are don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And we do have those and those matter, but they're not first. They are not first. They are not first. They are not first. The first commandment that God gives every one of us is to love him with everything we've got. Don't you want to love that way? We think it's the opposite. We tend to think that religion is restrictive. When I used to lead high schoolers in Bible studies and college kids as well, I knew they all thought this because we all think it. And I would buy them a catechism, a little pocket catechism. And I used to, I always play a joke on them. I'd write in an extra paragraph. So the catechism is ordered by paragraphs. And it starts with number one. But I would put one in the front that was catechism number zero. And I would write in there, God hates fun. And that was a big joke in our Bible studies. And don't laugh like, (laughs) how ridiculous. I have never thought that. Yes, you have. (laughs) Right? Yes, you have. You have thought to be a Christian means the end of all fun. If it's fun, God doesn't love it. Brothers and sisters, it's not true. It's not true. Our faith is about love. That's what our faith's about. It's everything. 
And if you don't love God, you can't be a Christian. My favorite illustration of this, I've, I, I've used this before, but it's just a perfect illustration. I've actually never seen this movie, and the last time I preached on this, one of our parishioners gave it to me to, on loan. Still haven't seen it, sorry. But, I, but the best illustration of this is from Fiddler on the Roof. And there's this great song in Fiddler on the Roof. I've never heard it, but I know of it. And Tevia and his wife are singing back and forth to each other. And Tevia is wondering if his wife still loves him. I love It's so beautiful. And they've been married a long time. And Tevia turns to his wife and he says, do you love me? She says, what do you mean, do you love me? He says, do you love me? And she says, she kind of dodges the question. She says, I, I do your laundry and I cook your meals. Do you love me? What do you mean, do, you, do I love you? I've raised your children. <laughs> I clean the house when you come home. Yeah, but do you love me? Doesn't that just speak to our hearts? I love that. In a, in a marriage, I know every married couple, there has to be that moment, and probably lots of times over the years, we ask that question. And brothers and sisters, our faith, our religion is about the love of God. That's what it's about. And that's what God wants from you. And, you. and you can be just like Tevye's wife. I forget her name. You can be just like her and you can say, God, what do you mean do I love you? I, I endure Father Brian's masses. Right? <laughs> I told the, the last mass, wait, it's, it, I think it's nap time right now, so we have so many kids usually at the earlier mass. And I'm like, you kind of mass at Lourdes and we're repopulating the earth. Praise God. Love it. And you're like, God, I do this, I do that. I, I go to confession sometimes, right? Like, I try to not, you know, flip people off in traffic because of you. And God says to you, do you love me? Do you love me? And here's the truth. If you don't love God, his commandments become burdensome. Just like if you have a wife that you don't love, it is hard to serve her. But if you love your wife, it's not a burden to serve your wife. It's a joy. And you see marriages like that. You see marriages where a husband and a wife do these amazing, meticulous acts of service for their spouse and it doesn't look hard and it doesn't look burdensome because they love. That's our religion. Now, lest you think, you know, it's so important as Catholics, it's, it's easy for us to moralize things. And, and today, what I, the, one of the points I want you to get is this, today's gospel passage about the two great commandments is not primarily about you. It's about Jesus. And what I want you to see today is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Right? He is the one 
Jesus is Christianity in person. He is Christianity. And if to be a Christian means to fulfill the two great commands, right? Don't just think of it as these abstract rules. When you hear, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, you should see him. So we all know Jesus. We know that he died on the cross for us. But did you know that before it was for us, the primary reason Jesus died on the cross was not for us, it was for the Father. Here's John 14, 31. We'll start in verse 30. Jesus is about to die. He's speaking to the apostles. It's, it's, it's Holy Thursday. It's, it's right after the Last Supper. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Who's the ruler of this world in the New Testament? Anybody? I thought I heard it. Good whisper. I think you said Satan. If you said that, you're right. In the New Testament, Satan is the ruler of this world. That's why in Matthew 4, he can offer Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Sin gives Satan power. And he has power over the peoples of the world. So Jesus says, the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no power over me. Jesus does not go to the cross because somehow Satan forced him. Satan has no power over Christ. But I do as the Father has commanded me. Why? Why does Jesus obey God and why does he go to the cross? So that the world may know that I love the Father. So that the world may know that I love the Father. Don't you want to love like that? There's a, I'm always, this doesn't happen too often, but every so often there's a eulogy at a funeral that I'll be at. And, and oftentimes people will define their loved ones by their comforts and pleasures and tastes. And they'll say, oh yeah, you know, my grandmother, my grandfather, my aunt or my uncle, whoever it is, and they'll say, boy, did he love his lazy chair. How lame is that? <laughs> I don't want to get through life, right? You weren't made to be comfortable. God didn't make you to be comfortable. He made you to love. And that's what we're called to. At the end of my life, I don't want people to say, wow, Father Brian, boy, did he enjoy gelato. It's true. Thank you. But I want to love in a way that leaves nothing on the table. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. How many of us actually love God that way? I don't think it's too many of us. And I struggle with it too, by the way. I'm not, this isn't just you, this is me. But I want to love God with everything. So Jesus, right, he loved the Father with everything he had. Everything he was. And I want to leave you with this, brothers and sisters. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. 
So oftentimes we tell ourselves it's either just happened to us or it hasn't. Either I'm in love with God or I'm not, and, I, and there's nothing I can really do about it. That is a lie. That's a lie. You can pursue God. We talked about our seminary. Our seminary, my education in the seminary, helped me to love God. Because when you understand who Jesus Christ is, when you study his teachings and his law, you can't help but fall in love. It's so beautiful, it's so good, it is so true. You can love God, you can choose to love God, you can choose to make time in your life for him. And my one recommendation, practical, I mean, you could do a thousand things, but here's my biggest one. Do you want to know how you can love God? Spend 15 minutes today in silence and hold a crucifix in your hands. And realize how much he loved you. Right? That he is on that cross, not just for anybody else, but for you specifically. Right? The way I fell in love with God at the start, as someone as when I was starting to become an adult, and some people would say that it still hasn't happened, but the way it started was staring at one of those. Right? And I knew you know a love that's not just emotion, that's not just feeling, but a love that was everything. So that's it. Brothers and sisters, the world thinks all of our faith is about the sixth commandment. And our faith is about restriction. And they think that because you and I aren't in love. And so today, choose it. Jesus Help us, Lord Jesus, help us to choose because you loved us with everything. And you loved the Father with everything. Jesus, help us to love you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength.